Hello and welcome to Freight Waves Drone Waves Summit. I'm Dooner and it is my honor to introduce the guest I'm speaking with today. It is Paramel Decker. He is the director of NASA Aeronautics Research Institute, otherwise known as NARI. Hello and welcome to the event. Why, thank you, Dona. I'm pleased to be here. Now, PK, I've been I've been looking into your background and it's such a cool time, especially such a cool time in drone space. I mean, even for you, you've been an evangelist for for drones for at least the past decade. Set the table a little bit for us. Tell us about your background and what you've been doing over at NASA to drive this innovation forward. Yeah, great, great question. And uh, my background is all about airspace operations. So I started working in air traffic management research and development, working for FIA Technical Center in 1993. For almost 10 years, I worked for FIA as a contractor. And then FIA hired me, and they actually sent me to NASA Ames to work on a technology transfer program, again, focused on air transportation systems and technologies that NASA at the time were developing that they were interested in transferring to FAA for operationalization. A few years into that, I transitioned to NASA, and I still kept on working on airspace operations-related research and development. My passion has always been how do we increase capacity of air traffic control, airspace operations, how do we increase scalability, efficiency, throughput, as well as the safety of overall operations. Then came along that we kind of started to think about what else is going to come in the airspace. And I realized that the small drones are likely to be the next frontier at the time. This was around 2012. And started to think about how can we manage these small drones in the airspace without overloading the current air traffic control system. The current air traffic control system handles about 50,000 operations in a day. Each operation is takeoff or landing. And at a time, about 7,000 at peak. But if you start to look at the forecast of drones, there will be millions of these at a time in the sky. The question is, how do we manage them? Because they don't have pilot on board. They have a remote pilot. And these are much smaller. So what's the best way to organize traffic for them so that they can safely operate themselves without hindrance to each other, as well as the manned aviation. And that was how I got into the drone traffic management. Now, you said uh, air traffic was a passion of yours. How, do, how does one develop a, a passion behind that? Because that seems like it's been your guiding light. And obviously, the next evolution of that was to see what was going on in this drone space. But how did this passion ignite in you? Yeah, that's a great question. And for those who are looking for career opportunities and Really exciting things to do. Airspace operations, air traffic management is a really fascinating domain because it's multidisciplinary. It's got a lot of humans. So, you know, 15,000 controllers, many thousand pilots, dispatchers. FAA has about, you know, hundreds of facilities of different kinds and thousands of pieces of equipment that interact with each other, aircraft and radar systems and data that goes all over the place. So it's got everything. It is one of the most complex systems in a nutshell. That's what got me attracted to that. When I was looking for a PhD dissertation topic in 1993, I fell in love. I, I listened to a talk at, in Cincinnati at one of the system safety conferences 
on air traffic control and how the operations work by one of the FIA researchers. And I fell in love with that topic. And I said, this is really what I would like to focus on my PhD dissertation. And then as I was working on it, I got further excited about it. And since then, I never stopped working on that topic. It's so cool and such a complex system, so many opportunities to continuously improve. You don't just talk about this either. You're a producer in this space. In fact, you recently won accolades like Government Invention of the Year, NASA Software of the Year. I have to imagine this was addressing some of this drone space. Is that correct? Yeah, both of them that you cite, uh, the the first one, NASA Invention of the Year, is for the patent I have on unmanned aircraft system traffic management. So how the traffic management of these small drones will uh, work. And we can talk more about that and how that is different than the conventional air traffic management. And the second one is also related to that. And obviously there's a team effort involved. It's uh, maybe I started some ideas, but really the collaboration with um, inside NASA of all four centers, as well as industry and FAA is the really reason why we have been so successful in pushing the limits and trying new things in that direction. Now, we've all seen airplanes, so we know what goes on in the air traffic control tower, but you, you mentioned it right there. What is the difference? I mean, other than being much smaller, flying in lower airspace and there being a ton of them, what is the difference between developing for your typical aircraft air traffic control and this drone space we have to be concerned with now? Yeah, that's a great question. So fundamentally, how the air traffic management works today is air traffic controller has information about all the aircraft in the sky because they are basically that data comes from radar and it's integrated on air traffic controllers display so they can see what's going on nobody else has that complete picture so for lack of better word situation awareness is only available at air traffic control systems and air traffic controller so pilot if the pilot wants to go faster or go up or down or turn left or right, they had to ask permission from air traffic controller because only controller has awareness to make sure that they can be safe if that basically maneuver is made. So it's called management by permission or management by clearance. Now we started to think that already air traffic control system and air traffic controllers are you know overloaded. They work very hard, they maintain this safety of all operations. So how can we accommodate these millions of drones without overloading them? So we flipped the paradigm and we said, instead of sending all the information to air traffic controllers only, what if we give that situation awareness to all the other drone operators that also want to operate in that vicinity? So we, in order to get there, we said, okay, we're instructing using management by permission. Let's change management by exception where air traffic controllers can say, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. Other areas you can go. And by the way, you create an atmosphere such as share and care. So you can share your intent with each other and care about each other and stay away from each other. That's sort of the main paradigm shift from management by permission to management by exception. Now, in order to get there, we had to digitize everything. We had to make sure that we have standardized application protocols so that the operators can send information to each other so that they are aware of others' presence and they can stay away from each other by planning their trajectories that are 
separated from others and as they fly, stay away from each other. And then we also, another layer we added, so we did this, this is called cooperative traffic management. Then digitization, cooperative traffic management, we also added service-oriented architecture by allowing third parties to offer services such as flight planning, communication, navigation, surveillance, data about weather and 3D maps and so on and so forth. So we also changed that paradigm from having air navigation service providers, which in our case is FAA, providing all those services, we allowed some services to be provided by third parties. And that also allows us to accelerate the transformation and leveraging the best in breed, the best in class from industry members as well. So it's really fascinating how we see the transformation from management by permission to management by exception. And that's really the game changer that allows us to scale these operations. Now, PK, you've mentioned operators a few times. Is that the near-term future of drones? Is it people actually controlling them? I know that in a lot of different states, they're fighting for regulations to change to allow out-of-line-of-sight operation. But it's, it seems like the end game would almost be autonomous for drones, but maybe it's not. What, what are you seeing here? Yeah, certainly the end game, uh, particularly in the case of the business models, autonomous drones and many drones operated or managed by fewer pilots or fewer managers is the way that was basically scaled in terms of economy and many use cases. In order to get there, of course, we had to do crawl, walk, run kind of a setup. So we don't want to try the riskiest things right in the beginning. It's like, I just learned how to swim and I'm going to be competing for Olympics. It doesn't that way work that way. You had to go through many, many cycles of learning. So that's sort of the similar setup here. We said we do crawl, walk, run kind of strategy where we start within line of sight first, then second is go beyond visual line of sight and show how that interaction occurs through digital means, through this unmanned aircraft system traffic management, then have um, intermingling of manned aviation and unmanned air aircraft. And then we also try to show that in the complex urban airspace where sometimes you have communication challenges, GPS degradation, and so on and so forth. So we started with the lowest possible risk in very open airspace, in rural or agricultural lands where there's not much you know, hindrance to drones, and then slowly weaved in these other factors and complexity got increased. So that's how we approach this to show the feasibility of the concept that we were working on. The FAA estimated that by 2020, the end of 2020, there would be 700,000 commercial drones flying in U.S. airspace. Did we hit that target? How, how many commercial drones are flying right now? That sounds really crowded, but I, I'm not seeing drones all over the place when I go, you know, walking my dog or just being outside. Right, right. So I think that's a great question. And uh, whether we hit 700,000 or not, I think it's it's a uh, is an interesting question, and, and and we may not have hit the exact mark, but we do have currently, we do have many more remote pilots and the drone pilots than the actual pilots. So we have actually passed that inflection point. The regulations that now will allow to fly over people and flying uh, 
over a period of time, beyond visual on a site, we would definitely hit that, and maybe even many more, you know, millions. Uh, but the, that that forecast was predicated on a couple of rules, and I think those rules are now, big, you know, as of a couple of days ago, the remote identification and flying over ops or people rule went into effect, which uh, will be implemented over a period of time. So those things will definitely enable the size and scale that you are mentioning. Up till now, the rules are basically you need to fly within line of sight, 400 feet and below, five miles or away from the airports and, and, and such. So there, it's very restrictive, but it's meant to be that way to ensure the safety of drone operations as well as safety of manned aviation. So PK, when I was walking into the building this morning, one of our videographers was flying her drone around, taking some shots, and I did notice it's a little bit loud. And now I'm thinking 700,000 in the air, five years, who knows how many will be there. Is this going to be some sort of like dystopian hellscape or, or what will it really look like when we start delivering with these things and using them commercially? Great question. I think the companies that are interested in the scaled operations pay really good attention to the noise because noise is one of the important parts of aviation in terms of acceptance. There have been many examples where because of noise, the aviation operations were curtailed. And uh, we can't have that happen. You know, we had to balance the basically uh, technology side so that the noise footprint will be acceptable. NASA is doing a research on noise-related things, on on small drones, advanced air mobility, electric vertical takeoff and landing, including supersonic, believe it or not. So to, to be able to have supersonic fly over land, we need to make sure that that noise footprint is acceptable. So NASA is, is deeply committed, NASA aeronautics researchers across NASA Langley, NASA Armstrong, Glenn, and, and Ames, they all are working on these challenging things that will ensure the acceptance is uh, is possible because it will not overload them with the noise. I believe you guys are going to do it. You're you're flying helicopters on Mars, bringing back oxygen from Mars. It's, it's crazy what NASA's been, NASA has been up to. It's very cool to see your team in the mainstream and especially the freight community embracing it. NASA's done some great work with one of our shows, What the Truck, as well. And we greatly appreciate your time. A lot of people, it's great space. And young people like my kids, they're four and six. They're so inspired by the ideas of drones and NASA and SpaceX and space travel. What would you say to them if they want to get involved in this space with NASA and with drones? Oh, we, I think they, first of all, follow nasa.gov. There's so many good pictures and stories every day, really. And NASA has really cool missions. I mean, it's, it's really exciting to be at NASA. Lots of new things going on in aeronautics where I spend most of my time. And in space also, as you see, uh, Mars and action on Mars. So we will be going back to moon sometime. But uh, for those who are interested in working with NASA, if you're over 16, create your account on intern.nasa.gov. We have lots and lots of internship opportunities all throughout the year. So that would be the first thing, you know, try internship at NASA, your passion, let your passion drive it. 
and find something that you resonate with, either in the earth science or the space, in the exploration or aeronautics. And we have 10 centers. So there's plenty of opportunities geographically distributed along the way. So lots of cool things. I would highly recommend you connect on on our on us on follow the Twitter or follow the NASA.gov open internship account. Uh, we also do a lot of events at different localities, educational events, and such. Participate in those. All that information is available on the NASA.gov. So yeah, definitely. And, and folks like me, contact contact with contact us, and if there's a way we can help you with something or other. And even for small kids, like, you know, uh, under five years, we have a whole bunch of coloring books with different types of uh, material about how the air traffic control works, with how the solar system works, and you can draw a picture of solar system, paint them, all kinds of really exciting things. Well, some of us big kids may pick up those coloring books too. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for inspiring us today at Drone Waves. It's been an excellent talk and we have a full event in store for you. So stick around for our next fireside chat. Thank you for having me here. I like your shirt, uh, donor. And, uh, you know, it's great, great to be in the, in the aeronautics and space. Uh, this is a great time for um, students and faculty and young kids to join the moment towards future. As I understand, you're teaching some of them too. So thank you so much, PK. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Bye-bye.